Hi, everybody, and welcome to Two Gays. One episode. Or as it will be known for this episode, Two Gays. Two two episodes. Because we're doing two episodes. We're doing episodes four and six? Or wait, no, just five and six. We're doing five and six. Yes. Uh, We might talk about four a little bit, but we're mainly going to talk about the Ray two-parter, which is episode five's. Episodes five and six. Yes. Of Neon Genesis Evangelion. We've skipped Shamshell. The Shamshell episode can go to Shamshell. Um, yes. Good. Bravo. Good job. Episode four has where Shinji runs away, um, which is a good preview kind of into his core issue, which is he keeps running away but returning. Uh, and returning for sort of mixed reasons, like as in, it's kind of to seek that sweet, sweet validation, but he also ran away because he was lacking that sweet, sweet validation. So, uh, but yeah. Raise the gaze. They need it. And, uh, the thing is with the end of episode four, we also have that beautiful shot of Misato and Shinji staring at each other for like 60 seconds um that's a really nice moment it is a really nice moment, like moment and it kind of like it it already gives you a preview into ano's philosophy which is hey if you can drag it out and make it like emotional let's do it by god like let's uh let's meet that airtime. so though it is the only episode ano didn't write in the whole series run yeah like at all the only episode he didn't write yeah he didn't have a co-writing credit he's a co-writing credit on every episode except for episode four. Yeah. Do you, uh, and you know why that is, of course, being a super fan. I think uh, episode four is just very meditative. And yeah, it does give you a glimpse into Shinji will run away and then come back. And that's kind of like a big thing that keeps More repeating. specifically, though, it wasn't it was not part of the original outline. They they had a, it just went from the Shamshell episode straight into this Ray episode. And I guess, I don't know who decided it, but someone decided there needed to be one more episode just exploring Shinji's character. And so I guess Akio Satsukawa had to write it. And Akio Satsukawa is one of, I think he writes, besides Ano, he's the one who's written the most episodes of the show. Yeah, That's potentially uh, true. I, I'm not sure, but I know he's like done 15, 19, uh, 24, etc. So quite a, yeah, quite a lot. He did about yeah. eight episodes, I think, altogether. Because um, he did this two-parter that we're going to talk about, and he did episode four. And he did Dance Like You Want to Win, Magma Diver. Yeah, so it's about, it's about I'd say it's about nine episodes. Yeah, and uh, as far as episode four goes, I think it is important to just clench Toji and Kensuke uh, and their relationship with Shinji because mm-hmm. I think without it, it would feel kind of weird that they just like are friends now after Silent Phone and whatnot. But yeah. yeah. There's a bit, yeah. There, uh, though that's more in this, that's more in the Ray two-parter where we see Kensuke and Toji. Um, sort of bonding with Shinji. What I was no, what I'm saying is that it really it clenches it because you got the scene with like um, Kensuke in the tent and Shinji kind of bonding true, with true, him, true, true, and true. then you have this scene at the train station where Toji's like, "Hey, I need you to punch me and whatnot." That's here in episode four. So oh, that's in this episode. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got, yeah, I got. I watched all three of them, but they all blur together in my head. So yeah, so episode four is Which definitely. I do want to make a little quick observation about that Toji scene just while I think of it. You can see the nerve guards in the background laughing at Shinji after he punched 
um, Toji in the face, and I think that's really funny. <laughs> just like, look at these, They're like, look at these hey, kids. what a pussy. What they're literally giggling at him. <laughs> he couldn't get in the robot. Ha ha ha. He can't even punch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's just such a nice little character moment for like pointless characters. Like, I don't even know their names. They're just like security guys. <laughs> uh, security Admiral Amarau, number five. <laughs> I don't know. That's his name now. That's canon. <laughs> yeah. Michael is now a co-writer on Evangelion. He named a character. Yeah, Absolutely. So, anything else you want to say about episode four before we get started with episode five and six? Oh, no. I think it's just a solid episode. Very nice. Uh, I am glad that they added it, even if it wasn't part of the plan. And uh, it, it definitely lends some humanity to the whole cast, I think, that has been introduced up to this point. So, episode five. And tally-ho, onward. Tally-ho. Uh, I don't remember the name. I know there's a bunch of names for them. This is Ray one whispers of the heart ray beyond like the heart beyond the heart yeah okay. she goes beyond the heart and to them okay well okay um so just to start with let's start with a little bit of a recap um the uh so uh, a lot of Evangelion is lore. That's something I wanted to mention. That a lot of the there's a lot of for a sci-fi monster fighting television series. There's a lot of like myth. There's a lot of myth associated with this show, and part of that is sort of the myth of what came before, what came, what, what Gendo and Yui and all that did. And uh, so we open with a scene that happened prior to the start of uh, the show itself, and where Ray is they're booting up Unit Zero and they're doing a test, and Ray and while they're doing the test, the Ray, the Evangelion unit goes berserk and uh, it uh, starts smashing its head into the wall. It falls apart. Ray goes flying out of the thing, and Gendo has to come rescue her. Uh, anything you want to say about this scene? Oh yeah, yeah, just the opening hook and whatnot. I think it's it's yeah. pretty cool because it definitely helps communicate that idea that Ava's have a mind of their own and that they can just like go ballistic and they're dangerous to even the people who operate them, right? Because in, like, episode two, when Ava Unit 1 went ballistic, it was to help Shinji specifically. But here it's like, oh, these things are these things are dangerous, yo. Like, to yeah. to everyone who kind of uh, is around them. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely establishes that link between Gendo and Rei. Like, there's a lot of debate... Um, which will be very important in these two episodes yeah there's a lot of debate if gendo authentically likes ray or not in my opinion no uh but because the thing is that ray he only likes ray beyond what she can provide for him as well as like emotionally because she's like she looks just like his wife you know yui and whatnot Mm -hmm. so i think there's a there's a connection there but it's definitely more she's being like objectified by him for the purposes of his like grand scheme. And, and I think that his like uh sort of adoration for her is false in, in regards to, it's not like truly caring about her. It's more of like, he's just projecting if that makes sense. So I have a little bit of a counterpoint to that though. Cause he needs Shinji and he doesn't treat Shinji. Well, he doesn't even try to connect with him. No, um, but I mean, I think that with, shinji uh there's like a fear there uh with in regards to like um 
it's more Shinji's more of himself and not his wife. You know what I mean? It's like I'm, so he's I'm looking at a I'm looking at my younger past self in like a kind right. of way where I was like I'm looking at a younger past version of the woman I love, and so it's much easier to connect uh, because Gendo is right. self-hating and never learned not to be self-hating. So psychologically, he like avoids Shinji because of their similarities. I feel. Right. Uh, be- well, this is almost yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Well, Yui just validated him. He hates himself like Gendo's Gendo's worst enemy and needs <laughs> healing from someone. That I mean, that's kind of the whole point is that like Gendo uh, sought external validation through Yui, uh, who gave it to him unconditionally and unexpectedly, and he never learned to love himself. So that's like... And loved yourself. He never got the internal validation, so he just became obsessed. And I think... Yui. Ray yeah. is comforting in that way because he associates her with external validation. So he's, yeah. she's his surrogate wife, basically. Yeah, Shinji's more of like the internal validation, kind of the need, and mm-hmm. Ray's the want, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah. That does make a lot of sense, actually. And that's and that's almost the core question of the episode is Shinji, why did, is Shinji asking, both episodes, is Shinji asking, why does my dad like Ray, but why doesn't he like me? That's almost the whole, what the whole thing is about. Yeah. This whole two episode, two part episode. Uh, another thing I want to point out is this, because this is a flashback, and it, this is almost Ray's first moment, Ray 2's, spoilers, Ray 2's first moment in the series, um, where we really see her character sort of coalesce, because the very next scene is her in the stretcher, and they're going to put her in Unit 1, almost, right after this. So it kind of explains why she was injured in the first episode. And Ray, up to this point, Ray hasn't done much. She was just, I think she's just in that first episode, right? She's just in the stretcher in that first episode where they need... Where they say, Shinji, you have to get in the robot. Otherwise, Ray will have to do it. That That's her one contribution so far, I believe. Yeah, Ray hasn't actually done a whole lot in the story. She's been uh, fairly incapacitated for the most part. He does, he does see her kind of like um, in the hospital in episode two. And I think there's some brief, like, she's there to just be like, Shinji, go do the thing or whatever on the school mm-hmm. rooftop. Um, yeah. But yeah, she hasn't really been an yeah, so active I, I, part what i'm driving at is this is our introduction this episode will be our introduction. yeah the ray. real kind of intro to ray yeah our first uh, ray mm-hmm. ray episode <laughs> <laughs> whoa that sounds weird <laughs> ray episode i i just no that's later that's later <laughs> <laughs> i just meant that as a bad pun y'all it wasn't <laughs> there's no there's no oh, subtext there <laughs> Um, so in typical satsakawa fashion most of this episode is just people hanging out and talking uh if you look at his episodes it will be a lot of people not not in a boring way but it will be a lot of people like oh we have to go to a party or oh we're just sitting around looking at a computer screen oh we're just discussing life like a lot of his episodes are like that uh so they're having a little kind of biology discussion ritzko has explained the physiology of the angels and uh that they're uh, i think she's talking about the angels where she says they're like 99.7 percent human there's a similarity so there's a lot we don't know yes yes and uh then shinji notices that gendo while he's investigating the core um shamshell's core he notices that he has burns on his hand and he wonders, but why does he have burns on his hand? And that's kind of the whole inciting incident for 
this episode, and I think one thing I want to talk about, because you know a lot about this, is the sort of like a, a films, filmic story structure for these episodes. So the inciting incident is the first thing that happens that sort of sparks what the story is going to be about, right? Well, like, yeah, an inciting incident is um, essentially the world put out of order, right? So you have the world in order, everything's expected, and what's the, the kind of event that happens that kind of sets off the course of the story is something unusual that happens to like nudge the overall quest of the character um so in this case it's like shinji's you know i and his daddy and his daddy's talking to ray and so he's just like i should learn more about my dad and ray and whatnot and like and uh yes so the world in order is that basically uh you know, Shinji and his dad are kind of um, at a distance and he sees that his dad is capable of being kind of intimate with someone, which is Ray, mm-hmm. And that, that kind of pushes him to investigate more into Ray and like, what does he see in her? So it makes her so special. I also think it maybe makes him respect uh, Gendo because to him, Gendo is just this absentee father figure. But now he's like, oh, he went, he ran into danger to save someone's life. That that would almost, I think he's almost questioning his own view of Gendo a little bit. Yeah. Wait, is this where, oh, was this where, did, uh, did Shin, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where Shinji kind of sees like Gendo and Rei and whatnot, like talking at a distance. Yeah, it's a little later. That's a little later. So the inciting yeah. incident is learning about the, the hand burn, right? Okay. Yeah, the hand burn, yeah. and then he starts thinking about Ray, and then the next scene is they're at the pool, and uh, Shinji's eyeing Ray because he's curious about her, and then his meathead friends are just like, "Hey, you like your thighs? look at her thighs? Like look boobs. at her chicken wings." And then, yeah, and uh, he goes, he, <laughs> "She's so voluptuous." <laughs> he's just like, "I wasn't staring at her because I thought she was hot. I was staring at her because she's alone." I think, and uh, yeah, like yeah, he's wondering why is she alone. He's, he just wants to know more about her. Yeah. He he's a gentleman, unlike these. He's a gentleman, unlike these yeah. these <laughs> these troglodyte yeah <laughs> pinheads. Toji and Ken scare bad influences. They're very bad, but that that also kind of um, establishes Shinji's character more that he is a gentle gentleman sort of that he does respect Ray, whereas his friends are just like think about her thighs yeah yeah he's yeah he respects ray and he gets to touch her titty later on in the episode so look where respect gets you to all the guys listening out there uh respect will get you much further but (laughs) (laughs) michael you're alone i'm abandoning the podcast this is no one gay two episodes michael will tell you things like that and i'll i won't be here <laughs> um uh, next scene and then you know uh ritsuko and misato are kind of chatting over the dinner and whatnot and ritsuko gives shinji the card to go give to ray um yes that's the end of the scene yeah that's the so again the way satsukawa writes episodes the midpoint when the the like woo, evangelion when those credits flash it's almost always an escalation, usually. And again, the the threat, the scale of this episode is so low that the, the um, what would you call it? The escalation is just 
here, you have to go to a girl's apartment and give her this card. Please do it for me. Yeah, so <laughs> in the case like of, like, script crisis. structure, midpoint is often uh, called the first culmination or, like, there's a midpoint twist is what we kind of refer to that as. And that's something to shake up the dynamic of the, of the plot line in this. So it will kind of... It's, like, an event that happens that um, essentially, like, changes the course of the rest of the story. And in this case, it's giving the cards so Shinji can have, like, direct one-to-one confrontation with Rei. That's kind of the the midpoint twist. Mm-hmm. It's, like, now he's going to actually, like, instead of looking from afar and being an observer, like, he has the whole episode. He's going to meet her face-to-face, enter her world. Exactly. So enter her world find out what she's like because that's what he wants he wants to know who she is why why does my dad like her what's going on here? yeah he's gonna give her the um, card and then uh give her his v card so um oh no, <laughs> oh, no. this can always become the threat will always be there one gay one episode okay <laughs> look i am gay but you know not gay enough not to make jokes i guess about this sort of stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what i no i'm just saying i'm saying i could walk out of here anytime <laughs> what i love about the introduction of of ray like the first shot we get after um seeing the title card ray one is just these buildings like repeating over and over and over again into the distance and mm-hmm. there is like a shot of ray later on and i think it's it's episode 14 i think which is the recap episode which has the second half of it um be like new content and it also has mm-hmm. a similar shot of just a bunch of rays lined up in like this arc uh pattern like these buildings and oh, so you have like yeah. this repetition it's foreshadowing her being cloned uh, through these like buildings kind of visually and it, they're also you hear this mechanical clanking in the background constantly which is like oh she has um there, there's a mechanical element to ray uh there's mm-hmm. there's this uh, artificialness and she's a produced person yeah and in general you get a lot of square compositions a lot of a repeating kind of like square imagery uh you know which squares are like very in visual language kind of just like very sturdy um like a mountain sort of deal uh an an unmovable an immovable force it's kind of linking ray to being sort of this immovable force type of deal uh glacial and i appreciate it because her character is very much like that where it's like I think they literally describe Ray as sort of being like a mountain later on in one of the trippy sequences where it's like, I think it's in like episode 25 or 26 and it's just like change happens gradually, but it's still there. Like, you know, right. and yeah. I think it's kind of cool. I love the attention to detail when Shinji walks into the apartment and you see like these letters these envelopes wedged into the mailbox and the mailbox is like yeah. overflowing. She hasn't checked her mail ever. <laughs> um, it's probably all junk. Cause like who's sending Ray a letter? It, yeah, it probably is all junk, but it's gotten to the point where she's not even really opening most of it. And then you walk in yeah. and you see like these footsteps on the ground. And it's because she doesn't take off her shoes, which is customary to do in Japan. It's like, remove your shoes before you enter the home but she's like dirtying yeah. the floor and just walking in just because it, it's not really a home you know 
No. So. Uh, she's, she's the consummate soldier and she's a slob because it doesn't serve. Like cleaning doesn't serve a purpose to her, her utility. She's a utilitarian character. That's how people see her. That's how you were saying Gendo sees her. That's how she kind of sees herself a little yeah. bit. Um, and that'll be challenged later on in a very famous scene. Uh, but yeah, she doesn't care about anything that doesn't serve a purpose. You even see the square patterns repeating, by the way, in the ceilings and the walls. Like the even there's just like perfect squares in her apartment everywhere. Yeah. It's very visually like stronghold esque. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Tatami Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you get a glimpse of, like, also into her character later with the, there's pills and, and other such, like, medical things. And Ritzko is actually giving her those so she can maintain her body because uh, it will fall apart without um, her AT field won't hold it together oh. if she doesn't consume those pills. So uh, yeah. kind of interesting stuff. Just like. All these visual clues as to things that will be important, you know, twenty episodes later. So, yeah, all these little little things that are, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have what maybe a controversial scene. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, some people might think it seems pointless, uh, lascivious, sexual, unnecessarily sexual, especially in regards to minors. Uh, you know. Yes. Though but fourteen year olds aren't necessarily minors in Japan. <laughs> According to Japan, they're not really minors. <laughs> just to put not to say what I think, just to put into context what is going through the writer and director's mind at the moment. Do you think the rainbow uh, was a little too far? The rainbow? Yeah, there's a rainbow that appears after he falls on her titty. Is there I don't remember that. I just watched it and I don't remember that. Yeah. It's um I I think I think the direction of this scene is probably more than it needs to be. I don't know that we needed him to fall on top of her and pull the underwear drawer out and have them fly everywhere. That maybe made it more interesting visually like something was happening, but it it's also why her underwear drawer honestly like why not just her shirts? I don't know. The drawer could have been full of letters or something. I would have probably given like yeah, a similar visual flair. Uh, so the the thing is that when it comes, it, it does it does serve an important function with the character, which is like she doesn't mm -hmm. see her body as anything worth getting like flustered about. It's just she doesn't even she has no autonomy of the self, uh, which could go into like, you know, if this is how she's reacting to. Uh, Shinji be like you know accidentally breaking her personal boundaries in this way then you know the implications with Gendo or maybe like a grooming kind of thing are kind of there a little bit Ooh. Um, Ooh. so uh, it's possible but also just like the lack of like you know she doesn't see herself mm -hmm. as as worth um, there are two moments in this episode where she actually genuinely gets upset she does not get upset when shinji falls on top of her and pulls her under she doesn't get flustered she doesn't start blushing she's not embarrassed about this it's just a thing that happened and she just reacts and moves on 
But there are two things that upset her. She does not like that Shinji is wearing Gendo's broken glasses that she's kept for some reason, which we could spend a lot of time talking about why she kept them if we if we can if you want to. And the other time she gets upset is when Shinji says why, he says something like, why would I worry about a guy like him? Like, why would I? My father is a horrible man. Why would I worry about him? And she turns around and she slaps him. Those are the only two moments where she gets shows anything out of the ordinary, anything out of her usual demeanor. Ano just like comes in and he's like, Ano, I wanted to communicate that she loved uh, Kendo because she's a mommy and I wanted a mommy character. <laughs> That's my best Ano impression. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's why she gets upset about that, but I think... We'll get, and maybe we'll get more back into this later with the second part, but I think almost she she doesn't have respect for Shinji, but she has a lot of respect for Gendo. I don't know why she respects Gendo, but she does. She has a lot of respect for I Gendo. think it's because he sees her as worth protecting more than even she sees herself that way, right? With earlier in the episode, right. it's like, I care about your safety and stuff like that. And... Um, you know, he showed her he showed her emotion, like smiled at her, and she sees that even glimpse of humanity directed at her as like enormous, you know, when you've been deprived of of that kind of thing your mm-hmm. entire existence. And then it's just like, Oh, he cares about me more than even I care about me. That type of deal. Yeah. So Which is and I think her knows. misreading things. It's kind of like <laughs> like I said, I, I'm not really convinced that Gendo of, as, has authentic affection for her or, like, care, uh, especially compared to Shinji, I feel. It's like Shinji is more concerned for her and her well-being in general than Gendo is. Gendo's still willing to march her off to die, yeah. potentially, whereas, like, Shinji mm-hmm. uh, later in episode six is was, like, scared to death at the the idea that she could be dead or in danger yeah so yes exactly yeah and i think gendo well i think gendo sees her as his wife i think he sees her uh yeah i think she's a surrogate wife i think he just looks at her and everything he loved about yui and everything that yui made him feel he sees when he's with yeah I i think you're right i think shinji reminds him of himself and he's not fond of himself but but Ray reminds him of Yui, and he loves Yui, and he loves everything about Yui. So that's why he has so much. Because I I think he has affection for Ray, but I don't know if it's authentic, um, uh, like love or anything like that. I don't think he sees her as a tool really either, though. In my mind, I th- I think he sees her as a substitute for something that he cares about. So I think he does care about her, but not for her own sake. Uh-huh. He cares about her because he reminds her of someone else. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, there we go. I got that. Yeah, I got projecting. Yeah. Projecting, like I He's said. Projecting. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, That's the word. Um, and, you know, I feel like it's sort of funny because Ray's affection for him is also uh, very similarly, I think she's projecting more onto him than he's actually giving so there's kind of like that mutual yes. projection um this is why ava is really good i had like some guy uh come at me i think two days ago and was just like ava sucks it's like character dynamics are, <laughs> are not like complex at all and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> yeah because I, uh, I think they I really are that's accurate um 
even someone like Ray is has an enormous amount of relationship uh like complexity with like her dynamic with Shinji is not quite the same as with Gendo or Misato or Asuka that there's always just something slightly different like I love how Asuka tries to make connections with her in this later on in this like gossipy kind of way and it's just like Mm -hmm. that stupid Shinji and Ray's just like whatever (laughs) and she doesn't even care (laughs) and uh (laughs) <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting that um you know Os- like Ray isn't really interested in um talking smack about anyone whatsoever. No. Uh she's much more easy to connect with when you're trying to just like uh reach to her emotionally and how she's like doing at that moment, but like Oscar is obviously incapable of that later, but I just think it's like sort of an interesting dynamic that she comes out more with with Shinji's approach than anything, you know. Yeah, she was, she's responsive to Shinji. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the next thing that happens is in true Satsukawa fashion. Again, if you look at most of his episodes, the angel shows up twenty one minutes into this episode, and it's over three minutes later. And there's a second part. But this is not a, a rarity. Like, all of his episodes, the main action conflict does not start until about three quarters of the way through the episode. And it almost has nothing to do with what's been happening up to that point. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's not a rarity. No. <laughs> it's a Ray episode, though. <laughs> God damn it. It's a Ray <laughs> episode is the point. This isn't about... This isn't an episode about Romeo, even though Romeo's everyone's favorite angel. Even though this, if you asked someone to name an angel... They would say, oh, the diamond, the diamond one, that one shoots thunder at people. Yeah. <laughs> the diamond one. That one's so weird. That's the one they remember. But it's not even important in the episode it's in. It's a Ray episode. It's a Ray story. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of interesting because, you know, this episode doesn't really resolve. It actually kind of ends in a uh, sort of tragic kind of way as far as, like, Ray and Shinji goes. The last interaction mm-hmm. between the two is her slapping him, really. Um, yes. and then they're back on the battlefield. And, and so this won't get resolved into the next one until the next no. one, which completely contradicts what I said in the last one, where I said most episodes of Evangelion have a beginning, middle and end. This one does not have, this an is end. one of the uh, exceptions I feel. So, yes, one of the few exceptions. And, uh, uh, so then we, s- yeah. So as far as the next one goes, showdown in Tokyo three, um, Ray two, also known as Ray, also two. known as Ray two electric boogaloo um okay so and then yeah we have part two part two begins uh and ray i think this is the first time she pilots an evangelion and they have an opening shot where toji and kensuke i think this is where toji and kensuke are sitting on top of the school and they see them coming out and they're cheering shinji on redeeming themselves for being such like sons of you know what earlier (laughs) and they're now, now Shinji is someone in his corner who's not part of his little circle, which is an, a nice little thing, nice little moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's also it also shows that there will be two Evangelions working together this time. Shinji showed up. He tried to fight the angel. He just got taken out immediately. Uh, do we want to talk about Ramiel? I just said Ramiel wasn't important, and I, I stand by that. But uh, <laughs> none, of, none of the angels are really 
as important as how they affect the character dynamic and what they're supposed to do. So in the in Ramiel's case, Ramiel comes in and it forces Shinji and Asuka to or to Asuka, Ray. Shinji and Ray to have to work together uh in this situation and uh Ray has to in particular defend Shinji. Uh you know, and I think it's it's an interesting way for her to get out of her comfort zone a little bit um but it's also just like this very like self-sacrifice i'm gonna just take the heat kind of deal which uh plays into her like self-destructive nature a little bit as well um but yeah ramiel kind of like forces her into a specific role here uh which i think is really cool the design is excellent for ramiel as well with the uh just the simplicity of it i think originally it was supposed to be a giant floating head kind of deal that spit lasers from its mouth and they ended up simplifying it to like a diamond um yeah don't like that uh and he is the angel of thunder if anyone was wondering yeah which is symbolizing the which goes which, which which again like goes to show that they did do some research before uh yes into the the christian stuff before actually doing it so (laughs) i will i will point this out every time we do an episode what the angel represents just to prove that point to the naysayers out there in the audience the imaginary doubters and (laughs) i'm gonna beat you to the punch uh do you know what shamshell uh was the angel of Uh, Shamshel is actually the angel of the morning. Um, I don't remember if he showed up in the morning or if there's some other suggestion, maybe morning something, since he's the phallic angel that everyone remembers. He, he uh, maybe he's the, the angel of morning wood, you could say. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was yeah. implying that, but I wasn't gonna say it. But if you're gonna say it, then go right ahead. <laughs> um, He's going to be a little classier than that. But. He's a phallus, and uh, it it questions Shinji's masculinity in this I episode. I think he might show up in the morning, too. I think when he flies in, the sun's rising. I might be making that up. I haven't watched that episode in a while. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Shamshell, we're talking about Ramiel. This is the Ramiel episode. I think I've said everything I have to say about Ramiel. Um, Ramiel is best girl. And Rami- if Ramiel is best. In a lot of people's opinion, Ramiel is best. Who's your favorite angel? Just off topic a little bit. Who's your favorite angel? Me? Yeah. Okay. Like, as far as the most crazy thing that happens to the character dynamic, it's it's probably Kaoru, but in terms of the, uh, in terms of- Is it of- Liliel? I want to guess. I'm guessing it's Liliel. I was, I was going to go for Liliel or, uh- <laughs> Armaziel, uh, like either one of those. Ooh, Armaziel is a very good answer. Yeah, I was... uh, Armaziel is the tapeworm. Just yes. we should probably say Leliel is the zebra one. This the the shadow. The one. black and white shadow one. And, the black and uh, white shadow one, and yeah. Um, but yeah, Armaziel as well was like one that came to mind. So either one of those two are kind of like really good. Um, I love Zeruel's episode. I don't love Zeruel himself so 
the I, what do you, who do you think my favorite is zero <laughs> uh it's either zero l or it's rael zero l is the one with the paper mache arms that's yeah. in ava 2 he's in the climax of ava 2 and he's he's the angel of strength um he's he's got a, he's got is, this like kind of mummy sort of design to him and over in a he's got that creepy way. face he fires yeah. eye lasers um and then Ariel is the sort of bird-like one that's out in space and, and plays, uh, what's the song called? Uh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Plays Hallelujah over and over again. I'm sure it's oh, not actually well, called Hallelujah. With the... it's, no, it, it's probably it's probably like ba- bra- Brahms. It's not Brahms. I don't, is it Brahms? Second symphony, third movement. Yeah, whatever. something. Whoever <laughs> so... the composer is, their name, their third movement, whatever. Because I, I think Hallelujah is just... Uh, German, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I woof. I'm not the right person to ask about that. <laughs> okay, anyway, back to the episode. We're getting a little off topic, but uh, uh, one thing I really love about this episode, though, is we get to see it almost. Um, it, it's almost uh, we get to see the unit working in cohesion. So it's not just we need we need to rely on Shinji. Shinji, you need to go out and fight. The angel, they have a plan ahead of time. So Masato makes a whole plan showing that, like, in my, in my mind, Masato is really the deuteragonist of Evangelion. Yeah. She's I mean, really the second most important character. She was introduced before anyone. Shinji even. <laughs> so, yeah. The car shot. So, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so Masato, and so she's almost the guiding force for most of this episode. She's the one making the plan. She's the one who puts it forward. Everyone kind of doubts her. And she's the, the one who really, her, her butt is on the line here with what she wants to do. Uh, and in fact, we really get to see all the characters working together because Masato comes up with the plan. She pitches it to Gendo. Gendo approves it. Uh, Fuyutsuki is standing there looking very uh, calm. Uh, Ritsuko, Ritsuko doubts her, but she's going to help her do it because they need Ritsuko's help. And then uh, Shinji and Rei are the ones who are going to execute it. Yes. This is everyone working together. Uh, and there's a, there's a really good bit of direction here, I noticed when I was watching the episode, where... Um, Masato relays her plan to Gendo. Gendo says, I have no reason to say no to this plan, so we're going to do it. And then we immediately cut to Risco's reaction. So it's like everything is, even though this is all just kind of boring exposition, we're just moving from point to point to point to point very quickly without stopping to slow down, which makes the exposition really lively. And you and you don't, you're being like pumped full of information very quickly, but you don't notice it because of the solid direction in writing. Yeah. <laughs> I love the shot with um. There's this one shot with uh, Misato and Shinji and Ray, and they're all standing in like silhouette lined up, uh, like that, and uh, in like kind of a diagonal, kind of formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it's just a really striking shot in general. Ava will have like really interesting, uh, choices that not not really a lot of, that you you don't really see this kind of stuff, done a lot in animation in particular where. Uh, it's silhouette that's like mimicking the exposure of like a camera and uh uh it is really cool he's there lighting really matters in ava where how things are lit is very important yeah yeah so and it shows that all the characters are working in tandem i think is is it would you say that's the purpose of that that shot oh yeah it's like a very um I would say that it it is kind of just like very aligned and in order, like soldier esque kind of shot, 
you know, I would see this sort of shot done in uh in like a war movie or something like that, honestly. Um, so like I could easily see like this being used for like a military formation or something like that. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It shows that they've got the plan in order, but there's like a lot of conflict in the composition because it is a diagonal line that they're ultimately making. And, so, and really at this point, we've spent a whole episode and a half developing these characters, all three of these characters in a really big way, I think. Yeah. It's so all they, culminating they really, here. It's culminating. And they took their time. They really took their time. They didn't waste any time. Nothing here is wasted, but it's all, it's, it's very efficient, but it's also not too quick. They don't, they don't skimp on it because they think it might be boring. They're not like, Oh, we don't want to do this because, we don't want to have this scene where Shinji's talking about his dad and race laughter. That scene is really important. And it sets up the conflict in, that's in this episode. In a way, this is kind of the end of an arc, uh, like the end of act one episode six is kind of debatably the end of act one. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to sort of explore some, uh, some like fun and world building and lore and give Masato an active role in the next episode, Jet Alone. And then Asuka will be introduced mm -hmm. In Oscar Strikes, which is absolutely uh, the introduction. Of after that, that's absolutely the introduction of that too. And no, it, yeah, it doesn't that's... really start until eight, I think, or nine. I don't think it really starts until nine. Act two specifically, way. but yeah, this is yeah, kind of like what I'm saying is that things culminate in a way where Shinji gets calls from you know like everyone being like we're we are we're in support of you. He's got a unit now. He's got like a uh, a foundation of people that he can pilot Ava for. And specifically with this one, it's like Ray is somebody that he's going to also fight alongside in order to protect, which pays off that episode one where he like went, got into the Eva to fight for Ray in the first place. So I think this kind of like comes full circle with the first episode in a way. It feels like it, it very much completes some kind of narrative arc before things get shaken up a little bit. So. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> and it pays off. They saved the day together. Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention. I have in my notes. Uh, the shot. There's a shot where Shinji's holding the sniper rifle, and they're setting up the tension with the sniper rifle and Ramiel. And there, you can hear the the exposition in the background from the dialogue that happened before. So th that's just so efficient. They're they're setting up the core tension of the action scene while they're also explaining what's going on, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. I also super duper duper love um, the shot with uh, Ray and the moon as well. And kind of like yeah, her association with, with the moon, which plays into the larger Ava lore as well, where it was like, Oh, absolutely. The white moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The white moon um, kind of like Adam comes from the white moon uh, and a piece broke off and landed in the South pole, etc. And it, it kind of ties together that idea that Ray is like angelic, that there's something off about her but moons are also like associated with like maternity and mother motherliness so yeah, well, women in general the yeah menstrual cycle and other things like that the, like you know yeah so the moon's feminine the sun is masculine the sun is masculine the moon is feminine la luna you know in the in the classic sense in the classic yeah not that it should necessarily be whatever. as you know rigidly gendered but yeah like historically yes. specifically just to be clear we're not we're not passing judgment on anybody we're just explaining if you want what. to be a manly moon you can do it you can do it if you want to be the moon <laughs> and you want to be as masculine as possible i believe in you yeah 
I know. Um, I know a couple ways to moon people. So, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, this is also. Uh, I want to say something about Ramiel here, which is also this is like the first episode where we have real hard stakes with uh the angel like there's they're advertising they're using this writing technique called advertising where oh we have like a specific time limit and i mean they've done that before uh in battles with shamshell as well uh they had like the timer ticking down it's like oh you only have this amount because your umbilical cable is broken but here the stakes are even higher the angel is coming in direct contact with the geo front and everybody who's in like nerve HQ. And so this is like the first time where it feels like an angel has gotten really close to like, uh, basically killing everyone. Um, so the stakes are really, really high here. And I don't think they're going to get this high until like probably zero L in episode 19. Um, yes, which I mean the, the zero episode, I mean, we'll talk about, we're going to talk about the zero episode. That's one we're going to do for sure. Uh, the fact that he just blows up the geofront immediately is obviously to contrast with something like it's it's to show the raising of the stakes even further. It yeah, it's up. like oh, this took a while to drill through, but then like Zerowal just kind of marches in and he is like here immediately. It. They're not even ready. <laughs> yeah, he does it so fast. And then and then like when Kauru comes in later, it's just like he just he didn't even have to. Break yeah, through. he just, just like it's like right butter. In. He's just there. <laughs> so he's just there. He made it. They let him in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, uh there's a there's a really good escalation in respect to that but i think this also all Satsukawa episodes this is this is <laughs> all episode, like zero episode this episode are all Satsukawa episodes. anyway sorry go on this is like definitely marks the first time that the stakes have been raised in like a significant way mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh, and then the final scene is really cool. Uh, we we uh, we made a parody of this scene at one point that no one should watch ever. Um, where yeah, <laughs> I think I think it was more of the rebuild version of the scene that we were parodying. But um, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where where Shinji comes in to save Ray and <laughs> tells her to smile for him. <laughs> smile for me. Yeah, yeah, smile yeah. Smile for me. Yeah. You were Misato screaming in the background about Pen Pen being blown up by Ramiel. So I was. I don't even remember. I thought I was Ray in that. I don't think Ray talks, does she? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Pen Pen. No, I don't remember what I said. You're like Shinji. Where are you, Pen Pen? No. Yeah. Exactly. This was a couple years ago. We were. It was like ten years ago. This was a long time ago. We had a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah, I was trying to kickstart my animation career that uh, never happened. So. <laughs> Only people knew about them. Uh, but people, please do not tell women that you don't know that well. I wouldn't say Shinji knows Ray that well yet. Don't tell them to smile for you. Don't tell them to do anything unless you know them well, or you're like in you this need case, them to do something. It's in this case it's a little bit more poetic, right? Because yeah. he's he's telling her, he's basically communicating. It's like you you should express your emotions like it's it's okay to feel something right now. 
is essentially oh, what, it's, it's written yeah. in a very sentimental way it's not it's not a demand it's it's she says what should i do and he says you could start with smiling Someone yeah like so she's she's looking for his input it's, it's different it's like it's okay you're alive everything turned out all right so it's okay to express that and whatnot and it's so this is the third time she breaks character uh really in the two-parter is when she smiles for shinji i think Smile what do you think about Ano's self-criticism? Because he's always said that he regrets this episode because he feels like she she had nowhere to go like after this moment uh, in like a self-critical way. It's hard to say that uh, a creator is really valid when you have all this like writing staff that is also pulling a lot of heavy lifting and have their own ideas of how like the arc is progressing, but at least uh like the showrunner always considered this to be a mistake like he thinks that it should have happened at the end of the series so this is a satsukawa ano episode they wrote this together um i tend to think that moment is more of a satsukawa thing the smile the moment with the smile it feels a bit more satsukawa to me but it could have been it feels enough like ano that it could have been ano too uh, do I think it was a mistake? I don't like, think it was a mistake. He thinks that it I... should have been at the end of her like character arc, which I no, don't no, know. I understand. I agree with I that. I th- I think that's like a. The thing is that her the end of her character arc is when she uh, obtains her own agency to like act upon her own will. Mm-hmm. Uh, which so... is that's when she's basically a different character though. She really I th- I think there is something to that because beyond this episode, Ray really only has two or three she has episode 23 and she has episode nine and she has I, episode as far as ray two more. goes um like she didn't two, cry yeah. involuntarily during episode 23 so there is also that like instead of just being emotional because you're allowed to like being given permission to she does it involuntarily which i think could be like i i, I the way i'm interpreting what you're saying or what he's saying is almost Ray didn't have anywhere to go, so she really had nothing to do between now and episode twenty-three when she dies. Um, so, she, but I'm saying there is some validity to that because she really doesn't do much in, between episodes. There's the moment in episode nine where they're doing the DDR stuff, and then that's really it. And the episode where they all have to work together, her, Asuka, and Shinji have to, and uh, have to fight Matariel, the, the Spider Angel. That's really it. She well, doesn't have a lot the part where to she, do like, otherwise. Gets the bomb in episode nineteen and tries to blow herself up. Yes, that's true. She does do things, but there's they're not character moments for well, her. Like the point of that bomb scene, in my mind, is for Shinji's sake. But there's nothing that really progresses her character beyond this smile. This is almost the end for her. So I think there is some validity to that. Um, I think it's kind of like. A little subtle because it's hard to really say with a character that's designed for intrigue because a lot of a lot of like <laughs> her character is to be learned about and kind of unveil and figure out what her purpose is and what her character is about as the series goes along but like um you know when she's blowing herself up in in that case uh she's like acting without orders to do that against gendo's witches even Right. And so it's like you're sh- and her interacting with Asuka is like slowly kind of opening herself up to being pushed out of her comfort zone more and more and more and mo- more. And so it's like very subtle and kind of uh, in the background a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. still like it it does actually 
sort of all gradually build up to her eventually rebelling against Gendo, which is the end of her arc. So, yes. and so which we kind of see here a little bit when she sees Shinji as Gendo. I yeah. think that's almost her letting Gendo go in a way or seeing him in someone else. Yes, it's just like, oh, they are similar. His goodness, her perceived goodness of Gendo is in Shinji, and she can see that there's like more uh in people than she expected i guess she was just very single-minded about gendo being this compassionate person in her mind and maybe that's opening up a little bit at the end here Mm -hmm. um but i think i think she does have like you can probably trace her arc in a in a subtle way throughout the whole show and kind of see how it like Mm -hmm. eventually leads up to that ending conclusion so i sort of disagree with ano i think what ano means to say is that she's she's not foregrounded nearly enough uh past Mm -hmm. this point um because it is subtle and it is very much a background element and oscar really does take a lot of the spotlight as the secondary like uh female pilot but um but i think ray is a valuable inclusion to have and does have a very uh, interesting and unique kind of character arc for a woman yes. character in anime. So, which I do want to talk about. I want to actually talk a little bit about uh, the role women play in Evangelion and the way they're written. And I think it's very progressive, and I think it's very ahead of its time. And I think it's ahead of its time even today. Largely, is something I would say. It's kind of um, sad, but it's sort of true. So. I, I think so. I think so. And I say that on the episode where we watched <laughs> Underage Woman's underwear go fly through the air all over them um that's not important that's superficial that's important to say that's that's superficial but the episode is ultimately about race character it's not about and and it's about so you either have things go one or two ways you either ignore their womanhood or you overly focus on it in a way that's obvious and i think especially with ray and masato and ritsuko who are all important parts of this two-parter you completely lost my shirt i'm going right back on it uh, <laughs> um, you see them as people even though their womanhood is important it's not overwhelming it's not all they are it's it's an important part but it's not the only part yeah exactly yeah um and the, there's even little subtle things here there was a moment that i wanted to mention that we kind of ended up skipping over but where uh, Ritsuko says about Ray, she's like, you're going to learn something about her. She's very bad at it. And he, and she's like your father. She, uh, she's very bad at it. And he goes, bad at what? And she goes, life. And she kind of half smiles. And that's almost foreshadowing, I think, her physical, sexual, personal relationship with Gendo. Right. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely see that as kind of like foreshadowing that. So. Which in a way makes Ritsuko kind of Uh, It shows her own autonomy that she's having, like, this purely physical relationship with a man in the 90s. That's, like, so taboo. And she's not really punished for it at any point. There's never, there's no, no one, she only shames herself. No one shames her and says, like, oh, you're such a whore. Like, (laughs) that never happens. Yeah. Um, And and that's, and that's really Satsukawa. I'm very familiar with Satsukawa. I've I've watched Gilgamesh, which is a show he uh, was the creator-producer on. And it's the same. It's the same sort of thing with the female characters in that show. They have a lot of pathos. They have a lot of inner pain, um, and we see that with Ritsuko and Ray and Masato too. They have a lot of uh, inner turmoil that we don't see explored openly. 
Uh, and it's sophisticated. It's not simple. And it's not that they need to be saved. They have to deal with it themselves. I also find it fascinating that I think women, prominent female characters, outnumber male characters in the show, too. Like, I, uh, by a lot. <laughs> um, that's pretty atypical for a mecha. It is. Like, having seen Gundam, I can say tell you for sure that that's not the case there. Or uh, or really in um, Ideon, uh, which is another one of Anno's influences and whatnot. So it's yes. a... Uh, Gilgamesh is actually an influence on Evangelion as well. I yeah, it's... Sure. It's just interesting that that they do kind of, yeah, that female characters are so present, and the Ava units themselves are all gendered as women, uh, as yes. well. So, uh, which yeah. is cool. It's a very, uh, kind of like female centric oriented sort of show in a lot of respects. In a so, lot of ways, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the mother is the most important character. Really, Yui is the quintessential character in the whole show yeah she's like this thing that shinji like aspires to acquire in like some sort of ways like the the affection from his mother and like but it's like completely well he actually aspires to get the affection from his father but he's like antagonistic and and sort of the negative like rejecting kind of thing and like the the mother is sort of portrayed as like uh this understanding accepting like holy like saintly kind of thing and whatnot for all the but, characters but not in a but it's not in a like a virgin whore dichotomy or anything like that it's like the no. strength of motherhood but the absolute acknowledgement that it's like you know misato is is a mother character but she's like highly provocative and she's not shamed for that either it's just who she is so i i do love the phrase virgin whore dynamic because i know exactly what you're talking about but it sounds so crass <laughs> oh the virgin whore dichotomy is a uh, it's an academic uh, kind of yeah term. i can guess i mean it's it's mary magdalene and mary virgin mary really yes and i think ava finds a good line to walk where like you know these women do have relationships and they are sexual beings but none of them are portrayed as like whores or sluts or anything like that for doing that no so no, for just sleeping around yeah it's like <laughs> ritsuko has a love life misato has a love life you know but they're mm-hmm. this is just a natural part of being and then like yui as a mother is not necessarily like it is like holy and and all this sort of stuff but motherhood is also portrayed really badly through like um through asuka's mom and and naoko like ritsuko's mother even yui yui abandons her child yeah they're they're flawed women but you know at the same time it's like motherhood is a really important part of what shapes us like you know women in our lives in adolescence and childhood kind of like really help craft us as people i know my mom was like a huge influence on me growing up so it's kind of you know uh she i was i grew up with a single mom for the for a large part of my really really young years so it's a uh um i think it's cool it's cool that it shows like the power of women and in a very in a maternal way but not in necessarily one that like fetishizes that role or even says that it's a requirement because like Misato is like maternal. Misato's not really Shinji's mom. Mas- she's, yeah. she's like his big sister. She looks Ex- out for well, him. Well, exactly. I, I mean, it, like her whole thing is that she wants to be kind of like a mom to him, but is not really able she to can't. do that. She's still kind of she's a kid in her own way. So yeah. it's sort of. Juvenile. Yeah, it's someone in their 20s trying to raise like a, you know, a 14 year old kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I could say, you know, in my mid 20s, I definitely don't feel like an adult at all. 
in my early 30s, I, I often don't either. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think I think Ava captures that really well, where it's like, you know, Misato is like a character that's, uh, she is kind of still struggling with, she's better at coping and found, has found coping methods and shit like that, but it's, uh, she's still struggling. <laughs> I love that moment at the beginning where, she, where she's like, Shinji, what are you up to? And he's like, nothing. And she's like, when you say nothing like that, you're drawing attention to yourself and I don't like that. Stop that. <laughs> she's like bullying him almost. <laughs> I mean, through the whole like, you know, divvying up the chores and then it's just like, we're going to play rock, paper, scissors, and I'm going to basically, I don't know. It feels like <laughs> it she rigged like it. It's, it's like your big sister. It's like your big sister. I don't want to do the chores either, so uh, <laughs> we'll figure this out by rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah. Shinji, Shinji also gets forced into a maternal role for her, which is ironic, right? Where he does the cooking and the cleaning and things like that. So it's, it's <laughs> she, sort of ironic. As we established in this episode, she can't cook. She can't cook instant noodles. She messed it up somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of incredible. I'm like, how did you how did you mess that up? So. Did she pour too much hot water in? Did she <laughs> Did she try to add extra ingredients that weren't necessary? Like what did she do? Oh, and the, the relationships between the women. That's also important. I'm sorry. I wanted to quickly talk about that. Ritsuko and Misato are good friends. And they don't, they're not catty at all. There's nothing catty about their relationship. They don't fight over men. They don't, um, they're, they're just good friends. <laughs> it's really interesting. It's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. And it's not obligatory either. It's not just like, oh, they're the two women. Like, you, you get a sense of their relationship and why they're friends. I like Ava. Yeah, I like it too. Anything else you want to say for this episode, or are we? Uh, I think that's it. I down? think we talked it out. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. The next episode we'll be covering, I think, will be Oscar Strikes episode eight. <clears throat> yep. Time to uh, we might shake talk... it up. <laughs> so... Time to shake it up. We might talk again a little bit about the ones in between as well. But uh, yeah, that's it. So thanks for listening. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Two Gays, One Episode. I hope you liked it. If you did enjoy it and you'd like to listen to more, this week we are launching our Patreon-exclusive mini-sodes. So if you pledge uh, $6 USD or more on our Patreon, you'll get access to our mini-sode collection, uh, or mini-sode episodes. We'll be launching these alongside our regular episodes every other week, and uh, we'll cover a different general topic that won't be the same thing we're doing in our main episodes. So this week we're going to talk about gay representation or homosexual or queer representation in general in western animation if you're interested in that just check out our patreon at www.patreon.com slash grand rose grand rose is all one word g-r-a-n-d-r-o-s-e and yeah so if that's something you're interested in go check it out thanks again for listening bye for now